the body of Christ is a metaphor or a description of what the church is. The word metaphor, I just asked Siri this while the music video was playing. A metaphor is a figure of speech that describes a subject by asserting that it is, on some point of comparison, the same as another otherwise unrelated object. It is a figure of speech comparing two unlike things without using the words like or as. It is not to be mistaken with a simile, which does that. So when Christ talks about his kingdom, he says the kingdom of heaven is like, and then he gives a simile. But a metaphor for the kingdom of God or for the church of God is the word body. Can we say body? So with that, let's launch into verse 12 of this 12th chapter of Paul's first letter to the church in Corinth. For as the body is one, can we say one? And has many members, can we say many? For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. So he's making a comparison that just as we have one body, and yet this one body we have has many members, so also is Christ. He has one body, and yet that one body has many members. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body. So it's the Holy Spirit that makes us part of Christ's body. Whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, we are all part of the body of Christ. No matter what our race or our economic status or our age. And have been all made to drink into one spirit. So one spirit put us in one body and this one body drinks of the Holy Spirit. We enjoy his presence just like we did here this morning. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. Verse 15, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body, just as he pleased. If they were all one member, where would the body be? But now, indeed, there are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather, those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable parts have greater modesty. Aren't you glad our digestive systems are not visible to the world? But our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body, having given greater honor to that part which lacks it, that there should be no schism in the body, and that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. Now in this metaphor, he is not saying that some of us are ears and some of us are eyes and some of us are feet, as I've heard taught. He's making the point 
that just as our body has many different kinds of members, so it is with Christ's member. Aren't you glad nobody has to be the butt? So Christ is made up of many different members. We're speaking today on the subject, you are part of Christ's body. Watch this. Have you ever wondered, where do I fit? Where do I belong? Or maybe you've compared yourself to others and feel odd, peculiar, or different from everybody else. But in reality, it's our individual uniqueness, combined with our unity, that makes us begin to take shape and become what God desires us to be, His church, the body of Christ. You see, we need everybody, every weird and odd-shaped piece, every shade of every color, edge pieces, sky pieces, and corner pieces. Every one of them has a distinct role to play. It's easy to sometimes see others and want to be like them, but if we were all an edge piece, we would never complete God's plan. No two pieces are alike, yet we complement each other working and serving together to fulfill God's plan. I've heard some ask, why is church so important? Does it really make a difference if I'm not there? Will anyone even notice or care? The answer is yes. When you're not here, something's missing. Without you, we are incomplete. You are a priceless part of this church. You complete us and we complete you. Together, We create a beautiful vision for God, of His church. We are glad you're here. Being a part of the body of Christ is about a whole lot more than assembling together, coming to church, sitting in a chair, because we are the body of Christ 24-7. So we are members of the body of Christ at home, We're members of the body of Christ at work. We're members of the body of Christ at the marketplace. We're members of the body of Christ at play. We are who we are. And we represent Him. The word body, simple word, we don't even have to look up the definition to know what it means. But basically it is something each of us possess through which we express our lives. Something we possess through which we express our personalities, our joys. It's the way we enjoy the world around us. If the body dies, there's no more expression. If we had a funeral in here and the body was here, the person we would be celebrating their home going for would not be here. Just their body or their earth suit would be here. So if that is true, then consider the body of Christ as the instrument through which The life of Christ is expressed. This is where being crucified with Christ, which means to lay my will down. It's not about me pursuing my will, but pursuing His will, which reigns supreme. His will is superior to mine anyway, and the things He wants will bring eternal good for others and not just temporal good 
for me or that which I perceive to be good. So in our discussion on the body of Christ, I don't want to talk about finding your place in the body and we need somebody to serve in a given area of ministry. That's important. But as part of his body, I want us to function wherever we are. How can we function as a body of Christ in our own individual membership more effectively? That's what we're going to focus on today. How can I function effectively? First of all, I need to realize the importance of our unity and our diversity. Church, believers, the body of Christ is made up of people from all backgrounds, all walks of life. Some thugs and some that didn't get caught that are secret thugs. We're all here gathering together, and yet we disperse out there. We are part of the body of Christ. Unity is so important. Unity is so important. Because disunity does not express health, and it does not express the life and love of God. Uh, If there's disunity within your body, if your immune system turns against you and you get one of these a condition called an autoimmune disease. That's one system of the body working against the body. It's not good. That's what disunity does to the body of Christ. If we do not value our unity and guard it, it hurts us. It makes us an unhealthy body. It hurts our witness to the world. You see this oftentimes in the news where there's disunity in some church somewhere. And just as unity is important, so is diversity. It's unity, not uniformity. We don't come to church and wear uniforms. There are churches like that. But there's also diversity. If we were all the same, all of us but one would be unnecessary. Better like this. If two of us were the same, one of us would be unnecessary. Sameness is lameness. God chooses to bring opposites together, and that's how life comes. But Adam and Steve can't conceive. Life comes from diversity. Life comes out of differences. And unity, where there's diversity, is a tremendous testimony to the world. Racism has been embedded in the church in America for years, and it needs to be uprooted because it's all about sameness and not about diversity and about the love of God being communicated in a meaningful way. So we need to realize the importance of this. A verse that communicates this is Romans 12, verse 4 and 5. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function... So we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. So I am not just a member of the body of Christ. I'm the member of you. We're members of each other, just like my own body. This ear depends on this ear to get the full picture. This eye depends on this eye to get the full picture. This is my left eye's right eye. This is my left hand's right hand. We are, another metaphor, a family. We are the brothers and sisters. If someone hurts my brother, you got a problem with me. So, 
Unity and diversity is an awesome thing. I think you got the point. Secondly, always remember who is in charge of his body. Who is in charge? Whose will is reigning here? The Lord's. Ephesians 1.22, speaking of Jesus, he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So the church is his body, he is the head. Another metaphor, he is the groom, we are the bride. But today we're talking about we're the body, he is the head. Have you ever put your head in one of these and taken a picture? This is, this is guess who? Portraying, and we laugh because it's funny. A vet as a cowboy is funny. Or my grandson, 18 months old, as a muscle man. Very, very funny. What if seeing Christ as our head does not create something to laugh at? If we could picture Christ as the head of our body, would the world laugh at the misfit? Or would they stand in awe of a body closely aligned with the purposes of God? Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Somebody's ruling and reigning over those people. Thirdly, to function effectively, we need to practice the discipline of telling the truth in love. This is so important. Speaking the truth in love, Ephesians 4, talking about the body, the body may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. From whom, Christ, the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Speaking the truth in love is key for all that stuff to happen, the edifying of itself in love. Some truths are not pleasant, but they're necessary. And we need to share them in love. You know, it might hurt someone's feeling to tell them not to drink something because it's poison. But if you care about that person, you're going to risk hurting their feelings to save their life. Right? Or, don't run out in the street. Well, say it nicer. <laughs> if someone's got guts enough to come and tell you the truth, don't dictate to them how to do it. Just listen for the truth. You know, when, when people came to us about our kids, and when you're a pastor, it happens often. We had to humble ourselves and listen for the truth. Because it took guts for that person to do it in love. So if you have to do this, by all means, try to do it in love. Because if you're wrong, then you're going to wind up with an egg on your face. But if you're a chicken and you don't do it, love without truth isn't love. It's not. If I'm running around all day with spinach between my teeth and nobody's telling me, are they loving me? No. You know, at least say, Pastor, go look in the mirror. Something's going on. Not sure. Maybe you lost a denture or something. 
And truth without love is cruel. It really can be cruel. I get this illustration from my dad. If you've come here for six months, you've probably heard it. You can take a big ear of corn and walk into a chicken yard and kill all the chickens one at a time. Bam! Just smash their brains with an ear of corn. They can be that heavy. Or you can take that same ear of corn and grind it up, turn it into meal, and feed it to those same chickens and bring them life. Same corn, different application. Truth without love is like a sword, man. You can cut some folks with some truth. Well, that's just the way I am. Well, somebody's going to be cutting you one, too. But speak the truth courageously in love. Jesus said, if you see a speck in your brother's eye, get the log out of your eye and go to them. What was he saying? I think he was speaking to people's blind spots. Blind spots makes us offensive to people. You know? And when people are offended, they're angry, and they're going to tell you about it, or they're not going to tell you about it. They'll tell somebody else about it. Get the log out of your eye, deal with your offense, and then go to them and say, hey, you hurt me. You want to do it in love because you might be wrong. You know, some people get offended at things that are not there. You know that? People get all bent out of shape and come to you with a bunch of stuff that didn't even happen. They saw part of a picture and completed the picture. And that wasn't it at all. I think you got the point. Don't contaminate your fellow members by lying. Hebrews 12 talks about a root of bitterness, unforgiveness, by which many people will be defiled. You'll tell other people about your hurt and they'll take up your offense. And boy, when you take up somebody else's offense, how are you going to fix that? Ephesians 4.25 says, Therefore, putting away lying, let each of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. So when I lie to you, I'm lying to myself. It's going to affect me. It just is. When I tell a big one about somebody, it's going to hurt me in the long run, ruin my credibility. Someone will lie about me in retaliation. Or God just steps back and lets me reap the consequences. You get the point? In the pioneer days, a lady was having company. She walked down to the pioneer village to the pioneer butcher and ordered a raw chicken. The butcher rummaged around in his barrel and pulled out the one chicken that he had and threw it on the scale. And she saw the weight and she said, that's not enough. I need more. He thought he'd pull a fast one, threw it back in the barrel, rummaged it around, pulled that same chicken out, threw it on the scale and said, you're in luck. It weighs one pound more than the last one. She says, good, I'll take both of them. (laughs) Ask your neighbor, they'll explain it later. (laughs) How do we function effectively as a body of Christ? By nourishing and cherishing one another, starting at home. Ephesians 5.29, no one ever hated his own flesh. This is addressed to husbands. But nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. 
When your flesh gets hungry, you feed it. When your flesh gets dirty, you bathe it. When your flesh gets sick, you get some help. Take care of it. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. So what he's saying is when a husband loves his wife, he's loving himself. And this applies to the church too. When we love one another, we're loving ourselves. We're creating unity in the midst of diversity where things just work amazingly, testifying to the world that there is a God. Look at those people getting along with one another. How can we function effectively? By giving Jesus first place every single day. Can we say every day? Colossians 1.18 announces that Jesus, he, in the context it's Jesus, is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have preeminence. So we have the word head, we have the word beginning, we have the word firstborn, and we have the word preeminence. Talking about Jesus. In all things, he is to be first. Just put him first. Start the day by talking to him. Give him the day. Lord, I need your help today. I can almost imagine someone thinking, Pastor, you don't know how busy my day is. I don't have time to pray. I hit the ground running. My day, if your day looks like this, I empathize with you. If your day was put on sticky notes, all the things you had to do, and it looked like this, you better put him first. You need some meditation time in the presence of the Lord. He'll help you categorize and prioritize and strategize on how to get this thing done. Alan Ginchel was in the first service. He leads a ministry along with his mother, Donna Bercy, called Granberry Reach Out. And they repair people's homes that are in needs of repair. If it's a rent house, they won't work on that. That's the landlord's responsibility. But people's homes that need repair. And some homes are like... Disaster zones. Where do you start? And there's such need. What do you do? So they, they pray constantly. Lord, lead us and guide us. But then when they arrive at the job site, they've got the resources. They've got the volunteers that are there. Alan stops and says, i, I got to pray. And he spends about five minutes praying. And when he's done, he says, here's what we're going to do. And he just lays it out like clockwork. And they get a lot done in like three hours. Try it. Start putting him first. If we are the body, we've got to give the head first place. Amen? How do we function effectively? Be willing to suffer for the benefit of his body. Paul wrote in Colossians 1.24, I rejoice in my sufferings for you, to the church in Colossae, and fill up on my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body which is the church. If we are not willing to be inconvenienced, if we, have, if we filled our lives up so much that there's no margins to serve anyone, our lives are total self-serving and we're not functioning as part of the body of Christ. Don't ask someone, how are you doing, if you're not willing for them to tell how you're doing. Well, I, I just do that because that's what we do. I really don't want to hear how they're doing. 
Well, then to ask them that and not want the answer is actually a form of lying. Just say, good to see you. But when you got some margin in your life, you can say, how are you doing really? And you might be able to be an answer to their prayer or know of a resource you can direct them to. Sorry, the preacher beeper thing doesn't work. Let the peace of God reign and be thankful. The character of Christ is peace. Everywhere he went, he announced peace. He proclaimed peace. Shalom, y'all, in Texas. We let his peace reign. Let the peace of God reign in your hearts, Colossians 3.15, to which you were called in one body, and be thankful. Letting his peace reign supreme. It's not about all my conflicts being resolved. It's about the inner conflict being resolved, trusting him to deal with the outer conflict by showing me what to do. But I'm going to rely on him for my peace of mind. My peace can be peace that passes all understanding, the Bible promises. This is the character of Christ that the world needs bad. It seeks it in things that aren't good for it, and those things create addictions and all kinds of other things. When Jesus has all the peace you need, come unto me, you that are weary and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He gives us rest and peace for our souls. And being thankful is an attitude that helps us to focus on reasons to be happy. Things to be thankful. It is what it is, but it's not worse than it is. And I'm thankful it's not worse than it is. I'm thankful for my redemption. I'm thankful that I'm a part of the body of Christ. You are part of Christ's body. Can we say that? And when we express that reality, the world sees us as the ministers that we are. We're all called into ministry. We learned that last week.
Help us to see the honor that we received to be part of your body on the earth. Thank you, Lord, as our sacrifice, you represented us and represent us as an intercessor in heaven. And Lord, it's our turn to represent you on the earth. Help us, Lord, to do that everywhere we go to show the world what Jesus is like. Show the world how Jesus changes oil in cars. And Jesus gives accurate change to people in our line at the store where we work. To show the world Jesus at the hospital where we serve the sick. To show the world Jesus at the library where we restock books with excellence. To show the world Jesus at the water cooler on the job when everybody's dissing the boss and we're not participating. To show the world Jesus, not by being self-righteous, better than you, but Lord, by being loving and caring and bringing life, being willing to be inconvenienced for the convenience of someone else. In Jesus' name, Lord, make us a congregation of believers that love to do your will. So, Lord, I pray that this honor that we receive would be made so real to us that we are the body of Christ and I am a member of that body. Thank you, Lord, for the other expressions of your life in this community, the other bodies or congregations. Lord, bless them in every way as well with this revelation, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Can we stand and sing a song together? And to demonstrate what we're saying today is I've asked our prayer team, which is made up of members of the body of Christ, that are prepare themselves to pray with others to come and join me across the front in a minute. And they, as members of the body of Christ, are here to serve you, to pray with you 
about anything you would like to receive prayer for. Jesus gave two promises upon which we base this practice. One promise is where two or three of you are gathered in my name, I am there. We're here, he's here. And the other promise, he said, where two or three of you will agree concerning anything be done by my Father in heaven. So we're here to pray the prayer of agreement with you about anything. It could be physical, spiritual, mental, financially, social, whatever. It could be your family needing prayer. You need God to move mightily on your behalf. We'll be up here to pray. You call me out upon the waters, the great unknown, where feet may fail. And there I find you in the mystery, in oceans deep, my faith will
Let me walk upon the 